Our text for this morning's message will be in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, we'll be reading verse 14 through verse 25. Romans seven fourteen through 25. Of course, we know this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome. Has much to say to them. We come to probably one of, uh, one of the hardest passages of Scripture to read as a text, especially in the King James Version. So I'm going to try not to to stumble over it because there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on in this passage but I think it's going to be one that we all relate to for sure. So Romans 7 beginning in verse 14 down through verse 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Let's pray together. Father, I I ask now for your blessing on the message that is to come, Lord, that you would open our hearts and open our, our minds to your word, that we would see the reality of the battle that is within ourselves that you would help us to see your guidance in it, that we would receive strength, that we would uh, seek to to be victorious over the things that that would trip us up and would take us away, Lord. So I ask now that you, by your Spirit, would take your word into our hearts. Give me the strength to say what is needed, nothing more. Give you glory for all that you do. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. We're, we are all familiar, I think, with internal conflict. If you're anything like me, you fight with yourself all the time. You have those kind of conversations. Do I really have to get up now, or can I hit the snooze button again? Maybe I can do it like five times, we'll be fine. Sometimes I time my alarms out so I can hit the snooze button a number of times before I have to get up. Or maybe it's what tie is going to match or what dress should I wear and you go back and forth in your mind about things like that. What color should we paint the walls? I remember that when when we were talking about painting the walls at our house. Well, if we paint them this color, it's going to look like that. If we paint it this color, it's going to look too small. And you have those kind of internal conflicts. Do we really have to have her parents over for dinner and 
All these things that go through your mind and the silent battle goes on within yourself. And sometimes it comes out. Listen close enough at any potluck or any restaurant for that matter and you're sure to hear something like this. I really shouldn't be doing this, but I am. And I don't know why. And it usually has to do with something that's either going to give you heartburn or something that breaks a diet. Well, that's another battle lost. Or won, I guess. Depends on how you, how you look at it. What do they say nowadays? The struggle is real. Well... You see the title of the message is The Battle Within You. There is a struggle that is real. And it has nothing to do with diets or color on the walls or anything like that. It has to do with me each and every day and you each and every day. Listen, we use many words to describe the new life that we've been given in Christ. Grace and love and peace and joy. We use those words to describe it and we should because it is full of grace, and it is full of joy, and it is the most wonderful thing that has ever happened to me in my life. The moment that I trusted Christ as my Savior, even though I was just a young boy, it changed my life forever, and it has made it infinitely better because of what He's done. We use wondrous and high praise to, to talk about the transformation that He's brought to us. We've been brought from death to life, from hell to heaven, from living for self to now living for and with Him. And that is the awesome reality for every child of God. And especially for those who commit their lives to Him to to follow in baptism and to join His local church. We want everybody to know that for themselves. Everybody we meet, we want them to know all of this goodness that comes from Christ. But we cannot and we should not ignore the other side of that reality. And it's one that we talked about last week. Namely, that even though I I am a new creation in Christ, I am born again of incorruptible seed, as we'll look at today, I'm still in this flesh. I still have this fallen flesh, and I have to fight its sinful tendencies. There is an enemy within. Or should I rather say, I am within an enemy. And for those that truly care, which I'll explain later, for those that truly care, you're going to find very quickly that you're in a battle. We are in a battle. This battle is not always against demons. But this battle is not, only against, not always against the rulers of the darkness of this age like we like to think about, right? This great spiritual warfare. The battle is not always against fallen society. Listen closely. The greatest enemy that you will face is yourself. You understand that? The greatest enemy that you will face in your spiritual life is you. It's me. And this battle is right from the start. The moment one is born again, the battle begins. It's right from the start, right from the first, right from first faith, (coughs) the battle begins. 
In no other place in Scripture is the battle outlined with such clarity as here in Romans 7. In fact, Paul uses such brutal honesty, such alarming honesty, there's a lot of people that wonder who he's talking about. And I think you, you probably should be aware of this. Listen, there's a danger in reading commentaries. There's a danger in reading some man's view on Scripture because it can take you some bad places sometimes. And here's things that I've come across just in my own study. First of all, people say, well, Paul is clearly talking about somebody who's lost. You are carnal? You're sold under sin? Sin dwelleth in me? No way that is true for somebody who's saved. Absolutely not. Well, first of all, he says, I. I don't know if I'm a simple person and maybe not that educated, but when he says I, he's talking about himself. And if we have an unregenerate sinner writing one of the greatest portions of Scripture, we got a problem. I don't think he's talking about a lost person. And secondly, he's already given us instruction about how to deal with sin when it comes back in our life. If you look back in Romans 6 and verse 12, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. <coughs> Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead. He says, hey, sin's going to come back up. Don't let it rain. Don't let it rule your life. So, I don't believe this is a lost person talking here in this passage. Okay, well, then some say, he must be speaking about a carnal Christian. One who is very immature and one who is unable to control themselves. And he must be clearly talking about shortly after his conversion. Well, Romans was written some 20 years later after Paul was converted. And he uses present tense language. Like, I'm not doing what I want to do. In fact, I find myself sinning. Like right here and right now, in this day and age. Let me tell you what I believe. What we see here is the real world, 100% honest confession of a true, mature servant of God. This is a true, mature servant of God. He understands some things. <coughs> he understands the wonder of the holiness of God and the power and sinfulness of sin. Didn't he say that? And then look in verse 12, wherefore the law is holy, the commandment holy and just and good. Was that when, was that, was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. He knows the law and the Bible and God and His holiness are all 100% pure and He knows that sin is exceedingly sinful. He understands the balance and he is broken and frustrated over his own failings. And so he's relating that to us as we all face the battle within. So let's take a look at what he says quickly this morning. Look in verse 15. The first part there says, For that which I do, I allow not. Now, this word translated allow in the King James, in the Greek is the word ginosko. 
Now, some of you Greek scholars might know that. It's the word for knowledge or understanding. And what he's doing, I think, is Paul is pausing right here and letting his heart pour out. And he says, man, I just don't understand what, why I do what I do sometimes. You ever asked yourself that? Why did I do that? How could I say that? What is wrong with me? <laughs> I find myself saying a lot. What is wrong with me? That's kind of what Paul's doing. That what I, that, the things I do, I don't understand. It's usually in hindsight, right? Because you didn't handle something the way you should have. Maybe something flies out of your mouth. Oh! Or you do something or don't do something and you're kicking yourself afterwards, right? This can happen a lot. And listen, it can really trip us up if we let it go too far. Because if you continually look at all of your failings and you don't understand what's going on, it can actually take you to some dark places. Like, you could doubt your salvation. I've heard people do that. All I do is keep saying this, or all I, keep, all I do is keep doing this. I must not be born again. Well, hold on a second. Hold on. If we don't correctly understand the struggle within, it can trip us up. This is pretty serious. And I think I can say correctly, the struggle is real. The battle within is nothing to be messed around with. I think you know this because I'm sure you felt it in your own life, right? So let's see what Paul says. Point number one this morning is the opponents. The opponents. So who exactly is at odds? Who's vying for control? Well, on the one side, you have the spiritual or inward man. The spiritual or inward man. You can see that in verse 22. Look there if you would. He says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. The inward man. Now, Scripture tells us a lot about the inward man. It is the spiritual part of us. It is the essence of us. It is what has fallen and what needs to be born again. Look in, just back in chapter 2 of Romans. You'll, you'll see a principle for it there. Romans 2 and verse 29. And Paul says, But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. See, there is a, a spiritual inward change that needs to take place. Being right with God is an inward thing. It's not an outward thing. It's an inward spiritual thing. And this is exactly why Jesus says in John chapter 3 as he's speaking to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. This comes right after him saying you cannot see the kingdom until you're born again. You've been born of the flesh, and now you must be born of the Spirit to be right with God. There is an inward change that needs to take place. And when we trust in Christ for salvation, that change happens inwardly. Our dead, sinful spirit is made alive and perfect. That's why it's called being born again, being saved, being made alive. The Scripture uses those, 
those terms, being made a new creation. It is something that happens inwardly with our spirit. Look what 1 Peter 1 and 23 says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. 1 John 3, 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Now, that, that passage in 1 John can trip up some people. What do you mean, I cannot sin? He's talking about your spirit. Your spirit, the, you, the part of you that was born again at salvation is made perfect, born of incorruptible seed, with the made in the image of God with His seed remaining in you. That part is born again at salvation. It is sealed by the Spirit. It cannot be affected by sin or else you could lose your salvation. We don't believe in that. We believe that once somebody is saved, they are always saved, right? Well, that's because our spirit is born again incorruptible. The inward man is made perfect when we trust in Him for salvation. There is an inward change that takes place. And now we find ourselves with the duality of natures. 2 Corinthians 4 shows this. Though our outward man perish, our inward man is renewed day by day. We have an outward man. You see my outward man. There is an inward man within me that is communing with God, that is driving my thoughts and my actions and all of that. Ephesians 3, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. And Chapter 4 and verse 24. That you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Colossians 3. And you have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. There's a lot of scripture there, but it's a pretty important concept for us to understand. Our spirit at first faith is reborn. It is made incorruptible, sealed. It is the part of us that is that follows God. It is the part of us that lives eternally, and now is that part of us after salvation that follows God. It is the part of us that is led by His Spirit. (coughs) It is the part of you that desires and delights in His law, in His Word. It's a part of you that when you read a scripture, it speaks to you, and you you feel that feeling like, oh, this is so awesome. I, I love this verse. It just spoke to me, or maybe it's convicting or maybe just gives you peace that's your spirit your inward man that is being fed by the word it's that part of you that wants to do good and that is fed and that is strengthened by the word that is one side of the battle your spiritual inward man on the other side you have the flesh the flesh we talked a lot about this last week This is our unredeemed sinful flesh. Wherein is housed all of your temptations. Your temptations usually have something to do with your body, don't they? Whether it's speaking or feeling or doing something, it's because of your flesh, the sinful flesh. The draw to sin comes through this flesh. Now listen, let's not get Gnostic 
like some people did even in scriptural times, to say this is all evil. No, we can do good things. You guys are doing a good thing by bringing this body, sitting it in a pew and listening to the word of God. That is good. I can kiss my wife. That's a good thing to do with my flesh or hug my kids. But we need, still need to understand this is a fallen, unredeemed part of me that trips me up so often. Turn to Galatians chapter 5 if you would. I'd like just like you to see there a principle that's laid out. Galatians 5 and verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would, but if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. There is a battle that's within us between our spirit and our flesh. Now listen, let me just say, you don't have to agree with me, but not every word spirit in the Bible needs to be capitalized. There's nothing in the Greek that would denote that. And this is one of those passages where that could be possible. And Paul is saying, walk in your spiritual man, not in your flesh. Because your spiritual man and your fleshly man are at odds with one another. They're going to want different things. And you're going to find within you a conflict. That flesh is always there. Let me just give you this thought, not spend much time on it. You choose who to follow and you choose who to feed. Whichever one you spend more time with, whichever one you pay more attention to, whether it's feeding your spirit in the Word or not, and that feeds your flesh. Those are the opponents, okay? I think we know this, we understand this. Your spirit, inward man, and your flesh. Point number two this morning, look at, uh, let's look at the battleground. The battleground. Where does this battle take place? Because those two are at odds against each other. Where is the battle going to take place? Back in Romans 7, look in verse 23. And listen and see if you can pick up on some of this. Verse 23. I see another law in my members... Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Verse 25, look at the end of verse 25. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. You see where Paul's talking about where the battleground's taking place? It's in his mind. It's in his will, his his want to, his desire. The battleground is going to be your mind and your will. That which produces and that which influences your actions. I believe that is your soul. Your soul. And you probably need to explain that. We believe man is made in the image of God. 
And as God is a triune being, so is man. We believe God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We also believe man is a spirit, a soul, and a body. We've talked already about the spirit and the body. But what about the soul? What does Scripture have to say about that? Look at 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I would underline that. And if you look in your Bibles, I would underline that as well. That means completely. Paul is praying that the church at Thessalonica be completely sanctified. All parts of them, all <coughs> excuse me, all aspects of their being. So that makes it important what he's going to say next. I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 speaks of the dividing line between soul and spirit. The word is able to, to pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The battleground is your soul. Your soul is your life. It's your thoughts. It's your actions. It's the things that you say, the things that you do, the things that you think. The essence of your life, who you are and how you live. And your spirit and your flesh are battling for control of that. Your spirit as it follows God and His Word and wants to be pleasing to Him and your flesh as it follows sin and Satan and really doesn't care for any, anything about God. Those two battle for, for control and listen, the battle never stops, does it? It never, ever stops. It rages hottest in those split-second moments, Right? Those moments you're faced with a choice. How are you going to respond? What are you going to say? What are you going to do? Will you act spiritually or will you act fleshly? The battle's there in those life-changing decisions. Things that could change the course of your whole life. Marriage or career or things like that. It's there when you're weighing that decision. What should I do? What are you weighing it against? Are you weighing it against Scripture and godly things? Or is it against fleshly things? The battle's there. Or the battle's there in the quiet of your mind when temptation comes and you either follow or you don't. And sometimes the struggle is real. Look at verse 18. In me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me. I want to do right. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. Sometimes I, I, I can't. Verse 21. I find then a law, when, when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members. That's his body. He's talking about this body. There's this, there's this thing in my flesh that wars against the law of my mind. I want to do right. I want to do what God wants me to do. But there's something that's fighting against that and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my, my, in my members. I think we all would say we want to do right. We want to do godly. We want to live godly, right? 
And we can head into situations like that, say, I'm going to do the right thing because I know this isn't going to be a good situation. Or we could head into work, or we could just start our days with that, that way of thinking, right? Today I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And sometimes we do that, don't we? Sometimes we do right. There's days I could look back and I, th- I think, wow, <laughs> I did pretty good today. I'm surprised that God worked in this situation, in that situation. I think we all have days like that, right? But sometimes it seems like out of nowhere, boom, there's a flash. We want to do right. We're looking to seek to live godly, and there's the flesh right there. And we fight the pull of temptation. And sometimes that's a battle, isn't it? I heard it. I heard an illustration given that shows the battle of temptation. And you can apply it to whatever might come to your mind. I'll just tell the illustration as I heard it. There's a pit that represents falling to sin and there is ropes tied around the waists of three men the rope's a hundred pound test pull if you had a hundred pounds it will break the temptation could be whatever you would think it to be and it starts to pull the devil's on the other end pulling these ropes pulling these men towards this pit and on the first man, the, the rope's tied around his waist. The first man, he begins to feel the pressure as it cuts into his sides and 10, 15, 20, and he's fighting it, he's fighting it, 30 pounds, and finally he gives in. Maybe he says the thing or does the thing or clicks the website or whatever it is. He gives in to temptation and he falls. The second man's fighting. 30 pounds, 40 pounds, 50 pounds, and he's fighting against it, and the, the rope's digging in his side. He says, no, I don't, I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to fall. 60 pounds, he gives in. Well, the third man is in pain, fighting, straining against it. It's cutting into his sides, and the rope seems to go tighter and tighter and tighter, and he, he sees his family as they look up to him. He sees his fellow church members as they look up to him. He, he sees the Holy word as it tells him what to do and he sees Christ on the cross so he he stays put and the pull goes harder and harder 75, 80, 95, 100 and he thinks I'm just about to slip and then the rope snaps and he walks away a little bruised a little battered but he didn't fall sometimes it's a fight like that isn't it Sometimes it's a fight against temptation. Sometimes you just about have to bite your tongue clean off to not say that thing. Sometimes you have to leave the situation so you don't do something you shouldn't. And we keep telling ourselves, this is what God wants me to do. I I, I need to do right I can't do this. This is sin. This is wrong. You battle that back and forth between yourself and your mind. 
And sometimes we fail and we lose the battle, don't we? Sometimes we fail. And it's at those times I think we can say the exact same thing as Paul. There's things that I so want to do, but I don't. I want to live godly. I want to live right, but I don't. Instead, I find myself doing this over here, which I hate. I hate it when I slip up. I hate it when I mess up. It's so frustrating. You can see that. You can hear that frustration. What I'm doing, I don't understand. For the things that I want to do, I don't do it. But the things that I hate to do, I find myself doing those things. Now I know it's not me, necessarily that spiritual part of me. It's my flesh. It's my flesh that's tripping me up and causing me to fall. Because I really love the law of the Lord. I really love the Lord. I really want to live for Him in my heart and my spirit. But this flesh, man, it gets in the way and it's like a war. That's basically what he says in a little bit bit of updated terms, but that's what he's saying. Listen, we can see and know God and His Word, and we can see how we don't match up. That's what he says there in verse 16. If then I do that which I would not, I consent to the law that it's good. Yeah, this is right all the time, 100% of the time. When I don't match up, yeah, I've fallen away from it. And we see that we don't live like we want to or we don't live like we should. And yes, it can be frustrating. I think all of us would say we want to serve Him better. We don't want to stumble in this flesh. And by the way, it does not have to be the super bad things that we do. Sometimes that's what we think of. Those super bad things we do. That is what he's talking about. I think we can, or at least I do, I think we can hate that we don't do what we should. Right? It's not necessarily that I did something super bad, but I can hate that there's times I don't witness like I should. Man, the door is wide open. I don't say anything. Or I'm not loving or caring like I know that I should be. You have this in your notes. Sometimes it's not the falling from but not living up to that can frustrate us. Sometimes it's not the falling from, but the not living up to that can frustrate us. Look at verse 24 in chapter 7. What does Paul say to this? What does he say? O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this? from the body of this death. This is a cry of righteous frustration. When am I going to be done with all of this? When am I going to be done with this flesh and its sinful fallenness? I'm so tired of failing my wonderful Lord and Savior. Let me pause right here. Let me put the brakes on and say if. If you care. If you care. Because some don't. They go on living life doing what they please, and quite frankly, they don't give a rip about being pleasing to God. I'm going to do what I want. This is all about me. A carnal Christian will not even consider this. They consider themselves more than they consider sin. They consider bank accounts and possessions and status more than they do offending a holy and righteous God. 
Their own sin will not grieve them as you see here with Paul. You know what happens instead? They justify it. We don't understand what so-and-so did to me. This is why I do it. Or they defend it. Or they try to explain it away and attack the one who would say anything different. Wretched man, speak for yourself, man. That ain't me. I'm fine. And stop trying to lay a guilt trip on me, by the way. Man, why don't you just lighten up? I would just simply ask the question, does your own sin grieve you? Listen, we all have it. Nobody's perfect. This is Paul. This is Paul. One of the greatest men to walk the face of this earth. All that he has done for the work of God and Paul is bearing his soul and saying, listen man, I mess up all the time. Does your sin grieve you? A good marker of spiritual maturity is godly sorrow. A good marker of spiritual maturity is godly sorrow. Sorrow over the sin in our own lives. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'd like you to see this in in your own Bibles. 2 Corinthians 7, we're going to pick it up in verse 9. Now remember, this is probably the third or fourth letter Paul has written to this church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians. He writes to rebuke them of some sin that was going on. They hadn't handled it. He uses really sharp language too, like, hey, get this taken care of. What are you guys doing? Well, in the meantime, they had handled it. They had taken the rebuke, they had shown repentance, and they had handled it correctly. And so this is what he's addressing here. Verse 9, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. There is one thing to feel bad about what we've done, and then there is another thing to be sorrowful into repentance. There's one thing to not want to get caught for what we've done. And there's another thing to bow and ask forgiveness and repent. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us and nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. I don't believe he's talking about first faith, though that can be applied. I think he's talking about when we see that we have failed God in some things, <coughs> and we truly repent and we are truly sorrowful, it delivers us from, from those things and it helps us to put up some blocks to not go back there. Verse 10, for the godly sorrow, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of this world worketh death. Peter had a godly sorrow towards repentance. Judas had a sorrow towards death. You see the difference? One was sorry, one repented. So it's one thing to maybe not want to get caught about our own sin <coughs> or Maybe to feel bad we've done it, it's another thing to be godly sorrowful over our sin. Verse 11, For behold this selfsame thing, ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Repentance works in our lives. 
to make some changes to, to do some things different. And that starts with conviction. It is that sorrow that leads us to repentance and doing our best to make sure we don't do it again. So I would simply ask the question here at this point, have your own failings produced a sorrow that leads to repentance in your life? It will if you care. So let's finish up. Who's going to deliver us? Isn't that what he asked back in Romans 7 and verse 24? <coughs> Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver us? Well, Jesus will. That's the simple answer. Jesus will. Look in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, he's not giving thanks to God by Jesus. No. He's saying, thank God the deliverance comes through Jesus. So let's finish up with our last point. A delayed victory. Now I need to explain that just a little bit, but there is a delayed victory come. We've already talked about the opponents in the battle. We've talked about the battleground. Now I want to talk to you about the, talk to you about the delayed victory. The victory is in Jesus. It always has been and it always will be. We have victory over the eternal damnation of sin and hell through His sacrifice on the cross. We can be forgiven of sin through His blood that was shed on the cross for our sins. We place our faith in Him and His work and He saves us by His grace. You hear that? It's Him His work, He saves us by His grace. The victory is in Christ. We have a victory over the eternal damnation of sin. We have victory over the reigning power of sin right here, right now in our lives by His power as well. As we place ourselves in the church by baptism into His body, He yields. As as we yield to Him, He leads us. He guides us. As we put on the new man, and He works in us to make us more and more like Him. Okay? We have victory in those two aspects. But even in those, we still have this fleshly body. Now listen closely. There is a final and a full victory coming for us. There is a full and final victory. One day, the trumpet will sound. The trumpet will sound and the sky will roll back as a scroll and Jesus Himself, the King of Kings, and the... (coughs) (coughs) I knew that was going to happen. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will descend from heaven here to this earth. And at that moment, the moment that happens, the Bible says we shall be changed. Look there in your notes at 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die. But we shall all be changed. And it's going to happen in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Can you imagine what that sight's going to be? Everybody's going to hear that trumpet blast. 
And you'll see the graves of the faithful start opening and glorified bodies coming out of those graves to meet Him in the air. The dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. He's talking about your body. This corruptible body with all of its failings one day will be gone. And I'll put on something that's incorruptible. No more aging. No more hair falling out. No more having to shave for some of you. No more having to worry about wrinkles. and None of that. That's corruption. This is corruption. There's coming a day when Jesus comes again where I'll put Him on immortality and incorruption. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and Strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only do we have victory over the eternal damnation of sin, we have victory over the power of sin, and we will have victory over the presence of sin. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. At that moment, the battle will be done over forever. As this sinful fleshly body will be gone, gone with its weakness to temptation, gone with its failing, gone with its sinful nature, the battle will be done because we will have a glorified body. A body just like His. His resurrection was a promise of that. One day, I will be perfect as He he is. One day, I will be perfect as my spirit is. And all I can think of is, oh, that will be glory on that day. No more of those thoughts. No more of those tendencies in your heart. No more battle. It's done. And I'll be with Him. The victory is in Christ and the victory is coming. It might be a little bit delayed, but it's coming. So you know what, beloved? Keep at it. Stay in the battle. I know it's hard. I know it can take us away sometimes, but stay in the battle because your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So what do we do unto then? The last part of 25 So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. We're going to have to be here in this battle. And it's going to take this into chapter 8, which is maybe a context that's missed by so many. But how do we we handle this as we go along? How do we handle this battle? Feed your spirit. Desire the milk of the Word that you will grow. Pray as if your life depends upon it, because it does. Lean fully on His help. Ask Him to guide you. Let me me close with this illustration. I wish I was an artist. I'm not. I don't even think Bob Ross could help me. (laughs) I could see a beauty of a landscape or an animal, or a person, 
I could see it. My mind sees it. And I could try to sit down and try to recreate that, right? But I would fail to capture it perfectly. It wouldn't be the same. I see the righteous, holy life that God has for me to live. I see it here in His Word. It's there and it's beautiful. But when I try to live it out, sometimes the lines are blurry. Sometimes the colors are a bit off. And it is then that I must ask Jesus to place His hand over mine and guide the brush. Lord, guide my mind. Guide my heart and my will. All of me. Because I sure need His help in this. Yes, the struggle is real. Yes, the struggle is intense at times. But we must know that victory is coming for us. And we have the ever-present help in time of trouble. His Holy Spirit. His very presence to help and to guide us. To strengthen our spirit as we battle those things that we might face. And yes, I know we all fail. None of us can say we haven't failed. But don't let it get you so down that you get off course. Just look at the first verse of the next chapter. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You keep walking. And yeah, you might stumble, but you get up and you keep walking. Doing your best. And you know what? You're not going to face condemnation for that. You'll find forgiveness and strength, acceptance, restoration. So the question is, will you? Will you yield to Him in those moments? Push the flesh aside and follow Him? Maybe today is the day you start caring. Maybe today's the day you draw a line in the sand and say, enough's enough. I'm not living that way anymore. I want to live righteous. I want to live the holy life that God has given me. Maybe it's time you put on the armor of God and get in the battle against your own flesh. Whatever the need is. Maybe you need strength this morning. Maybe you find yourself like that good old hymn, I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. <laughs> this battle has worn me down. You'll find the Spirit is there to lift you up, to strengthen you, to help you in this. Maybe you've fallen. Well, the Bible says if we, are, if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us of our sins. I pray this message has been helpful. Let's pray. Father, I ask now for your your blessing on this message. That you would help us as we battle between our flesh that seems to trip us up so much, Lord, and makes makes things so hard for us sometimes. And we battle that and then the the desire to serve you within our own hearts, Lord, and it can wear us down and it can it can take us off track. I I ask for your help in each life here, Lord, that you would strengthen us as we 
we really want to live for you and we want to do what you would have us to do and to not fall away, Lord. So give us strength in that. Help our flesh to be quieted and our spirits to be strengthened. I pray now, Lord, if there's a need that you would move as as only you can, that that need would be placed before you and whatever your will may be done, Lord. I, I thank you again for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.